0: Welcome everybody again to another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom from men with ministry experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana, the Promised Land
1: of the North, and we have as our guest today Adam Neese, the one and only Adam Neese, pastor of Lafayette RP Church in Lafayette, Indiana. Adam, thank you so much for joining our podcast today.
2: Hi guys. Good to see you. Good to to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Your your comment makes me chuckle about the Promised Land of the North, you know, I I live a little over an hour away from you and I love where I live. I'm not sure I often think of it as the promised land, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, you're on the other side of the Jordan,
1: you know, you you need to, you need to cross over and like, listen, we've got our problems, but, uh, it's a wonderful place to live. I don't care what anybody says about Marianne. It's, uh, it is the promised land and there are, uh, there are people who need Jesus. So I don't know what you're going to say to that.
2: Well, it is a wonderful place. You know, I, I heard in one of your previous podcasts about, uh, you know, the weather in Pittsburgh. And of course, I remember the weather in Pittsburgh. And I grew up an hour from Pittsburgh in Wheeling, West Virginia. So I was kind of used to that uh, uh, weather and, you know, the mountains and so forth. But whenever we'd come back to Indiana, while we lived out there, it was so great because you could actually see the sky. Mm -hmm. You felt like you could breathe. And uh, I still enjoy that very much today.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to throw Pennsylvania under the bus too much. You know, it's got its. Uh, it's got its own beauty. It, it it cannot compete with the Midwest, but it has its own beauty. Um, so we're not here to talk about Indiana or Pennsylvania. We're here to talk about uh, pastors and pastoring. And so we're going to jump right into our uh, first question here. And uh, this is something that uh, you know when Joe asked the question, he he mentions this. We like to when we get the opportunity of interviewing pastors who serve uh, with another teaching elder. Um, we'd like to ask them kind of about their experience uh, of that. And, you know, you guys recently called uh, Joe or John Sturm um, as your associate pastor. So it's still kind of fresh. So, in some sense, you guys are kind of working through what that dynamic looks like. But you also bring an interesting perspective that you served as an associate pastor for a time as well. So, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it's like to serve on a session with two, um, you know, teaching elders. Um how you guys kind of share the uh, ministry load and what's your overall philosophy thus far of team ministry?
2: Sure. So when I came into the RP church, <clears throat> it was when I was a college student uh, in Bloomington, Indiana, and Indiana University. That was my first exposure to the RP church, uh, first congregation I'd ever been to. And that congregation at the time had two pastors. So um, I was a pretty new believer at the time. I grew up in the church, but I was a pretty new believer. Um, and, uh, I saw it working very well in that congregation, so I was used to it from the beginning. Um, and then, uh, when I, uh, was in seminary, we very much had the desire to, my wife and I, to return to Bloomington if possible. Um, uh, Bill Roberts had left Bloomington while I was at seminary to go start the church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so we, we longed to go back. Um, and, uh, I remember people uh, critiquing me, if that's the right word, saying, you know, here we are in this small denomination, there are plenty of empty pulpits in the denomination. Uh, how can you justify your desire to be an associate when uh, you're going to be a second pastor of one congregation means that there are other congregations without any pastors? And uh, my answer was at the time, and still is today, that, uh, you know, I I believed firmly that I would be a better pastor in the long run, if I could start off uh, not entirely by myself, and, and that was largely personal, you know, just knowing myself, knowing my makeup, my personality, gifts, weaknesses, etc. And so, I am so thankful. I don't regret uh, my first pastorate in 2012 out of seminary was to be an associate at Bloomington RP, and. Uh, I don't regret a minute of it. It was a wonderful experience. It uh, enabled me to uh, do all the work of ministry. I mean, I had the the same call as Rich Holdeman uh, so I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't called to just focus on a particular aspect of ministry. I was preaching every week. I was, you know, doing the Lord's supper and baptizing uh, folks, and you know, doing everything else that pastors do regularly. And uh, it was very, very helpful for me. So uh, coming to where I am now, uh, 11 years later, and I'm the senior guy, and yes, we have an associate. uh, I certainly have come into the situation with uh, plenty of my own thoughts from my own experience. So things that I uh, learned when I was an associate, um, and just my own opinions on how to make this work, what I wanted it to look like, what I thought would be best Uh, in terms of a a team partner with me, but then also for our particular congregation. And we were open about that uh, when we were talking to John Stern before he ever accepted our call. So uh, I've always had a very positive experience, very positive experience with team ministry. And uh, this congregation in Lafayette uh, has a history of having more than one pastor. So this is not the first time of having an associate. Um, but, you know, I, I, I started at the very beginning of 2018 here, and not long off after that, I forget exactly when, um, we, the session, started uh, casting the vision again to the congregation that that's something we desired was to have a second pastor. Uh, the need was not as great then as it was most recently, mm-hmm. um, but it's something we desired. So, you know, we, um, we kept talking about it. Uh, not all the time but like at the annual meeting we would bring that up as a desire of ours and then at least for the last three if not four years we've been setting aside money in our budget uh, for this so that we would be able to um, afford a second pastor if God would ever provide that so uh we had John Sturm intern with us for the summer of 2021 uh secretly uh wondering if this might uh, be a future guy, and we eventually told him that, but not at the very beginning, and uh, we came away very encouraged from that, and so we were thankful that we could call him earlier this year, and that he accepted uh, accepted the call. In terms of what it looks like, I mean, so uh, here in Lafayette, um, you know, different churches do it differently. Some try to follow the co-pastor model. When I was in Bloomington, it was uh, very much a we tried to do that as much as possible. I know others have tried to do that as well. Uh, here in Lafayette, we do have a distinction of senior and associate. I think, uh, for me, I have I think I still consider John a co-pastor and, uh, you know, he has the same call that I do. Uh, but at the end of the day, you do need a leader of the leaders and, uh, uh people are, uh, I believe naturally looking, uh, t- towards, uh, one as a leader of the leaders. So that's why I'm the senior. Um, I'm, I'm the moderator. Um, but, uh, John and I, we have an arrangement, um, that I really wanted. And thankfully he's on board with, which is, you know, when it comes to Lord's supper, we do it monthly. We alternate, uh, when it comes to baptisms, unless someone specifically says, Hey, I'd really love you to baptize my child or uh, for a new, uh, professing uh, adult. Um, we alternate, um, Right now, I preach in the morning, he preaches in the evening, but in January, we're going to swap, and so he's going to preach in the morning, and I'm going to preach in the evening, and uh, we have a rotation for who presides in the morning, but, uh, you know, so we, we try as much as possible that it's, a, it's an equal share, we're working side by side um, to labor in the work of the ministry and to be faithful, uh, so it's a great blessing. I'm so thankful to have him here in the office with me throughout the week. And, uh, he has made, uh, well, he, I was going to say, he's made my life a lot easier, which is true, but that's not why we have, that's not the only reason why we have him is to make my life a lot easier. Uh, he really is a blessing to the congregation. Uh, but as I've said before, uh, I've told people, you know, my wife was way more excited for John to come than I was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're really grateful to have him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as, uh, someone who's in the GLG, I'm, I'm thankful to have, uh, John, my uh, fellow classmate. Uh an hour and a half away uh, from the promised land, almost in the promised land um one of the things that i kind of wanted to ask you about as someone who has experience as both an associate and and a senior pastor um what would you what would advice or let me try and rephrase this what advice would you give to a senior pastor who's looking to call an associate pastor some you know uh, pitfalls to avoid and then what advice would you give someone who's maybe coming out of seminary who's looking into going into an associate pastoral uh what what advice would you give uh, that particular man Yeah,
2: for the senior guy, I mean, you have to you have to make sure in advance that the two of you can work well together and not uh, all people who are ordained teaching elders, even in our small denomination, can work well together. I'm sorry to say so. And this is why for us having the internship with John was so helpful because we were working together and I could realize, which was very important to me, that um, We could get along we could have fun together we could uh largely see eye to eye um you know it's not that we're carbon copies of one another not at all and i I praise god for that he is strong in in areas that i'm not and i think we complement each other um but personality wise i mean just you gotta like each other you gotta be able to work with each other um so for the senior i i think that's something you just really have to take to heart i mean uh, it's been said before uh the wrong associate is worse than no associate Mm -hmm. Uh, and and sadly there are stories like that uh, within church history even modern recent church history where uh, it's been uh, a terrible situation between senior and associate i had i had uh, lunch with a pastor outside of our denomination yesterday he was talking about another church in in our community where the new associate showed up and the senior was doing his own thing and the associate was wondering, where are you? What I what should I be doing? And uh, so I think uh, in my opinion, you need to work closely together and and not just be, obviously you're dividing and conquering, but not just working in two different offices, doing two different things as if you're not even in the same home. And it's, well, you know what I mean by that, but in the same church, but you're, you're, you're working together. And um, so you have to make sure that you'll jive. Uh, for the associate guy, I think you know for the person coming out of seminary considering an associate, I mean you we want to consider right is is this someone I can get along with, but is this someone I'm willing to follow? Uh, is this someone I'm willing to learn from? do I, do I respect uh, his philosophy of ministry? Do I have any major theological disagreements with him that are just going to, make life hard, Um, you know, trying to consider that. In in some ways, it's like marriage. Now, obviously, it's not a marriage, uh, you know, but uh, is it sinful for a Reformed Presbyterian to marry a Baptist? No. Uh, Is it necessarily the greatest decision? Well, it depends, but it may cause a whole uh, many pitfalls for you, many struggles for you. So, um, you know, having a senior and associate coming together uh, you know, you're both Reformed Presbyterian. That's a great thing, but there's more to the equation than just you're both Reformed Presbyterian.
1: And then uh, one other question before I let Joe jump in here. Um, how how do you encourage the congregation to relate to both pastors? Because um, I can imagine a situation where it would be fairly easy for, you know, the congregation to view only one man as their, you know, quote unquote pastor. Um, so w- what are some Uh, encouragements you would give even to your own congregation as you were kind of prepping them for a potential call of an associate or uh, maybe members of congregations who are listening to this podcast who might themselves be considering calling an associate?
0: When
2: John was ordained and installed uh, in late July or late June of this year, uh, he asked me to give the charge to the congregation in our service Mm -hmm. with the presbytery. And uh, I gave a brief charge from uh, First Thessalonians on how the congregation should know John and his family and um, respect him as well. And so I I tried from the very beginning, at least officially, to uh, set the tone of this is someone to know, this is someone to love, this is someone to welcome, Uh, and not just welcome him and his family into your life, but welcome his ministry uh, into your life and hold him in high regard. Um, And I, I think I've tried even before. Before he arrived and still to this day to prop him up in the eyes of the congregation, right? I speak as, you know, as if, uh, uh, you know, I, I speak complimentary of his ministry. I, I speak of him as if he's our pastor and he's my pastor. <laughs> uh, he very much is. And uh, so just trying to support him in that way. Uh, we, You know, it's, it reminds me too, like we have shepherding groups in our congregation, And so the congregations divvied up amongst all the the elders, including John and myself. Um, But we try repeatedly to make it clear: you have a shepherding elder, but that's primarily to hold us accountable to make sure no one's overlooked. It's not by any means to say you can and must only go to that elder. Mm -hmm. Go to whatever elder you want. So if you're more comfortable talking to John about something, go to John um, or a ruling elder or whatever. Um, But just trying to make it clear that. You know, and that you can go to anyone you want. And I think too, I I try, and I guess this would be a word of advice for any senior guys: is don't be protective. Mm. Um, It's not your church. Uh, It's not really your ministry, ultimately. So, uh, you, I want John to succeed. I I want the congregation to love him. I want his preaching to be a great blessing. And uh, I can't hold on to anything myself if I want that to happen.
0: (laughs) No, that was all that was all really good really helpful uh Aaron thanks for those questions as well that helped clarify and i feel like we've we've been able to not just hear repeats of the same things mm, yeah. when we ask these questions yeah. but to hear new things and to nuanced questions and and uh it's been good Adam you're you're also not only a senior pastor there of Lafayette RPC but in the Great Lakes Gulf Presbytery you are the chair of the candidates and credentials committee um could you just expand a bit on that and tell our listeners what that committee does we had joe allen on recently and he's a clerk and we you know some people don't know what a clerk does in their own local church and so we had him expand on that and speak about the importance of clerking and um so if you could let our listeners know what this thing called the candidates and credentials committee is and what its mission is what it does why it's so important and you know then what the chair of it does even well i have to admit i chuckled
2: when i saw this was uh, one of your questions
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's kind of like well why does anyone care or why would anyone care but uh,
1: this is this is on. the blue banter we're here to talk about all things reform presbyterian including yeah. the candidates and credentials committee
2: oh it's a good question um The Candidates and Credentials Committee, I would say is the best committee to be on when it comes to the presbytery, uh, because you're typically, though there are some exceptions, but you're typically working uh, in dealing with things that are always very encouraging uh, by nature, right? So uh, this committee is the committee that primarily works with the students of our presbytery who are in the process of uh, pursuing ordination as pastors in the RPCNA. And so when a session says we would like uh, so-and-so to be taken under care of presbytery so that he can begin the process of his ordination exams and so forth, then our committee will be the first ones he interacts with. And so we typically meet with that person, uh, get to know that person, hear their testimony, sense of calling, et cetera. And then we're the liaison that brings the student on behalf of their session to the presbytery. So we serve the presbytery by facilitating that process to to uh, so that students can be taken under care. But then, primarily, then from that, the examination process. So, uh, for those who don't know who are listening, you know, in our denomination, you have to go to seminary. You take many exams at seminary, and you need your MDiv to be to be a pastor. But to be ordained and to serve and to be installed as a pastor, you have these additional exams. At the presbytery level. And so it's a mixture of uh, preaching sermons, oral exams on theology, church history, personal godliness. Uh, there are papers to write, there's a written English Bible exam and, and things like that. So our committee, it's a there are three tiers of exams that typically go uh, over the course of two or three years for each of the students. Uh, we help facilitate them. So we help the students know when they should be taking certain exams. Um, helping them get ready for it, if they need that help, we have a, a student handbook that was prepared that uh, describes the exams, what to expect, how to be ready. It provides a lot of helpful information, so um, we provide that for the students, and then we just make sure that the exams are taking place. So we find the examiners, make sure they're ready. Uh, we schedule the exams. We uh, those all happen at the presbytery meetings. We make sure that they that they take place. So uh, it's exciting. Um, you're you're working with up and coming pastors. You two were some of the students not that long ago in our in our presbytery, and here you are as pastors. And so it's it's just it's exciting to get to know the men, uh, how God's working in their life. Uh, it's exciting to see how God grows them throughout their three years um, uh, of training as they prepare for the pastorate. I joke that it's also the best one to be on because it takes enough of your time that typically you're never asked to serve on another committee. Now, maybe I maybe shouldn't say that publicly because someone's going to, uh, you know, make this backfire on me and spring at our next meeting. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm happy to stay on candidates and credentials if it keeps me off uh, the next judicial committee or whatever.
0: <laughs> no, sure, that's good. What what um and, and you kind of started to touch on this some. Um, I guess, um, when, when I ask what is the importance of the committee, uh, certainly everything you just said highlights it, it's importance, but what is also just the general importance of examining men, uh, for ordination and installation, uh, that duty and responsibility that the candidates and credentials committee facilitates? Yeah, that's a good question.
2: Um, So we believe that scripture has laid out qualifications uh, for the eldership. So um, that's part of the process is is making sure that these men meet the qualifications. We also believe in what's often referred to as an internal call and an external call to the ministry. So the internal call being I personally internally have a sense that I want to be a pastor, um, that God is calling me to be a pastor. And that's great. Uh, If you don't have that internal sense, uh, you probably should not be a pastor. Uh, You need those desires and you need that sense of calling. But we believe that's not enough um, to truly be called, that there's also an external sense as well and an external call. So uh, ultimately uh, the external call is the actual call from an actual congregation saying, come and be our pastor. Uh, if you never receive that call, you're not called to be a pastor. Uh, but also, it, it's hearing what are the elders who are in authority over you saying about uh, your call to the ministry. You know, before I went to seminary, I did a two-year internship at the Bloomington RP Church, RP Church uh, with Bill Roberts and Rich Holdeman. I had a newly married my wife, Ann, had a job in the community. They encouraged me to do it so that I could get some real world experience, get used to being married, uh, and then also see what it was like to be a pastor. So, work with them, shadow them, get some experience presiding, eventually learn to preach a little, do some college ministry. Uh, Side note I highly recommend if you can do an internship like that, or to some degree, even before seminary, do it. I I don't regret a second of that. It was so beneficial. Um, But also, the elders said, this way, you, Adam, can figure out more and more: is this really what I want to do, and believe God wants me to do? But with that, it enables us, as your elders, to look at you and evaluate your character, your gifts, your abilities in in ministry, and say, yes, we really think you are being called. You should go to minute. You should go to seminary. We'll support you. Or I think you need to consider a different direction. So when you get to the presbytery level and you have these student examinations, uh, this is part of the external call. It's the elders and authority over you evaluating. Do you have the godly character that scripture says is mandated uh, to be an elder in the church? Do you have the gifts? Uh, where do you need to grow? Um, at the end of the day, you can't ordain yourself. You have to be ordained by uh, the church over you. And so that this is one of the ways that the Presbytery exercises that role in a man's life as he's pursuing the ministry.
0: Yeah, that was helpful what you said. I had a a man tell me once he made a distinction between uh, the informal and the formal external call, and that was just his way of phrasing everything you just said there, that through a pre-seminary internship, through seminary, through Presbytery exams, uh, ministering in other churches and getting feedback from members.'re uh, you, you're, you're receiving um, some confirmation at the informal level of that internal call and then you know boom, once a formal call comes, uh, that's that's the real solidified confirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, just a last thing, just kind of side question I'll ask concerning this. You've actually answered everything uh, so thoroughly. I hardly have any uh, follow ups on it. But just what I mean, what what does the chair of the committee do? I mean, are you just pretty much a coordinator or of the committee or are there any special duties that the actual chair of the committee itself um, has in that committee?
2: Well, we joke, don't be the chair of a committee because you're the one who does all the work on the committee. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I'm very thankful for all the members on our committee because uh, they contribute a lot. And uh, I I say that only just joking around. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of coordination, right? I'm making sure that we're ready for the presbytery meetings, that our report is written. Um, that the exams are ready to go I you know, I tend and maybe some of this is my fault and I'm not as good of a delegator as I should be. you know, I tend to be more of the one who writes the first draft of the report or I'm reaching out to the examiners and making sure things are ready, but uh, the committee does a lot so i'm 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 making sure that we're staying on task as a committee that we're doing what needs to be done uh we're doing it on time and we're doing it well um I feel like uh, I didn't sign up for this job, so uh, this was uh, uh, given to me uh, in a moment of need, and I was happy to take it on, but uh, I think it's taken me a couple of years to find my place in in, in doing this well. Um, I've been doing it now for, well, I guess a little over two years as chairman, and so I enjoy it. I'm, I'm thankful for the men that God has put on the committee, and it's one of those things where it's a decent amount of work Uh, In the spring, for maybe a month leading up to the meeting, to the main meeting of Presbytery. Other than that, it's very little work throughout the year.
1: Mm -hmm. I've got uh, two more questions on the CNC committee before we move on to the the third question here. Um, You know, one of the benefits of being taken under care is, of course, you're having your gifts evaluated and examined, but uh, are there any other benefits that uh, a student can expect by being taken under care of Presbytery?
2: Uh, yes, I mean, so yeah, you have the exams, uh, y- you have uh, other elders in the Presbytery who are looking out for you and hopefully interacting with you and trying to be a support to you. Uh, each student under care in our Presbytery has a representative on the Candidates Credentials Committee uh, who interacts with uh, with him. Um, uh, but also, this is maybe the, 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 the biggest benefit uh, is financially speaking. Uh, you know our students who go under care, uh, we're very thankful they can go to RPTS. Uh, not entirely free of charge, but uh, pretty close. I forget exactly. I'm not sure how exact what the exact arrangement is. Two thirds uh, scholarship.
1: It's a two thirds off tuition.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know it helps a lot in that way. And uh, in our presbytery, as long as you are a full time student and you maintain at least a B average. Uh, you also get a multi-hundred-dollar honorarium every month uh, during that time, which is not enough to live off of, but it's a way of the presbytery saying, we support what you're doing. We believe you're doing what God wants you, and we're going to try to alleviate the burden so that you can focus exclusively on your training and preparation for ministry.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that that honorarium was very really helpful regarding like the... Uh, um purchasing of books and, and other types of things for seminary. Um, hmm. and my my uh, last question, this more has to do with kind of the front end before someone is taken on uh, or, or recommended by the CNC committee to be taken under care of the presbytery, you know, what would be, I'm not necessarily asking you to speak experientially, but what would be some red flags that the committee might see um, of a potential student saying, you know, you, you might actually want to sharpen up here and there uh, before we would want to recommend you to the, the whole presbytery?
2: Yeah, so um, I will say that, you know, our committee, as long as I've been on it, we try to facilitate what the sessions are doing uh, it, to bring them to the presbytery. So I've never been a part where we, we have said if the session has already brought this student uh, with a recommendation to be under care, never been part of a CNC meeting that's said, hey, we actually don't think so. Um but, you know, red, red flags are you're a brand new Christian, and it's clear you just need some time to mature. Um, you know, some, sometimes you might be a student under care, but as you go through the examination process, um, the committee might counsel you to slow down. Um, maybe you're brand new or fairly new to the denomination you just you just need to get to know people more you need, need to get to know the culture of the denomination more um, maybe it's uh, maybe it's your job uh, there there could be a variety of reasons but typically it's going to be you're new to the faith new to the denomination you're uh, you just need time to mature you need time to work on some things um, those would largely, I guess, be the red flags sure. as far as I can think.
1: Sure. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, This kind of, you know, I guess we'll transition into the, the third question. You've got a man, he goes to seminary, he uh gets ordained and installed as a pastor. He's serving as a pastor for a number of years. How important is it uh, in your estimation for a pastor to continue uh, their, you know, theological education. So that could be either formally or informally. There's something I think, uh, Joseph actually does pretty well, but kind of from your perspective, how important is that? And then, um, are you able to do those kinds of things and how would you encourage someone like maybe myself who, who struggles with that more continuing informal education?
2: Well, Aaron, you should listen to the blue banter podcast. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that would help you out there. Adam, uh, I have
1: to listen to it twice. I have ah, editor, see, so. you're,
2: you're getting all kinds of continuing ed credits uh, just by doing this.
1: Um,
2: no, I mean, uh, in all seriousness, I mean, one of the things I'd, I do recommend and try to practice myself for continuing education informally is interacting with other pastors. I just think that's invaluable. Uh, having relationships where you can trust them, you can talk about uh you know counseling questions you have shepherding issues uh where you just you need you need someone else and you need to learn from their experience uh so uh, i've tried to do this throughout my ministry you know learn from other pastors how would you handle this uh try to interact with them sometimes there's an actual need sometimes it's hypothetical sometimes it's i just have a question about this text or Um, I just want to learn about, you know, how do you prepare your sermons? How do I prepare my sermons? Are there ways I could sharpen up? So in all seriousness, though, I'll admit I've not listened to every uh, episode of your podcast. What you're doing does provide some of that for other pastors to be able to learn from one another. I was talking to another pastor this morning about being on your podcast today, and uh, he was just reminding me of how helpful it's been for him to listen to the podcast because, he's able to learn from the experience of other godly men who have uh, been walking alongside him and walking before him. So, I mean, I think continuing education is important. Early on in my ministry, I would have said it it, it, uh, was my desire to do a demon. Life's gotten a bit harder and more complicated since then. Uh, uh, So I haven't done it yet, but uh, that's uh, on my my mind, at least. uh, That might be something I'd consider in the future. doctor of ministry degree and some more theological education i mean i I try to go to a conference at least every year um i try to as i said earlier interact with other pastors but listen to other pastors uh, for my own well-being but also just to learn right how did you approach this text Um, what are you having to say about this subject Uh, i like to read a lot i don't necessarily have a reading system But I try to read things that I need to read, want to read, Uh, so theological books, uh, pastoral theology books, you know, all all different kinds of things. Right now, I'm meeting with a young man in our church who is uh, very interested in pastoral ministry, so we're reading through some pastoral theology books and talking about them, and And that's really helpful for me. Uh, John Sturm and I right now are reading through the new pastor's handbook by Jason Halopoulos, which is a simple but I think very helpful book for a new pastor. Uh, uh, Just deals with a variety of subjects, and it just gets me thinking, right? Just Mm -hmm. brings up more of these things again to consider, pray about, evaluate. How am I handling that? You know, I haven't been a pastor forever, but I have been a pastor for over eleven years, and so you know, you, you do start to slow down in areas. You do start to forget certain things. You do need to keep yourself sharp. You do need a kick in the rear end. Sometimes you do need, uh, you know, topics brought before you so that you can consider them again and just make sure that you're, you're, you're covering the bases and you're being faithful personally, but then also in, um, in your ministry. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, I am, a. A um, member of ACBC, the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. So they do now have continuing education uh, requirements every two years. So I do have uh, a handful of reading assignments that I work through uh, for that right now. But I'm not doing anything formal, um, but always trying to grow and learn in many different ways. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you may have already uh, mentioned it in the books you just listed, but has there been one particular book that you've read this year that you found particularly encouraging or uh, challenging even um, as you continue your theological education as a pastor?
2: Well, um, one of the books that I worked through this year with the the young men in our congregation, that's not a book that I've read. This is not the first time I've read it, but uh, is Thomas Murphy's Pastoral Theology Many people haven't heard of it, but, uh, you know, he was a Presbyterian pastor in Philadelphia in the 1800s, and uh, he does things differently than I would do them at times, and he's a little overly detailed at times. Uh, I find it a very helpful book, especially the first uh, third of the book when he talks about the pastor in in the prayer closet and the pastor in the study and the pastor in the pulpit. So... Uh, that's that's always uh, convicting and helpful and uh, spurs me on to want to grow and drives me to prayer. You know, I think as if you want to learn and you're trying to trying to grow and you're taking these things seriously, they drive you to prayer because you realize I need to do these things, but I can't do them and I, I fail and I'm far from perfect. And so by the grace of God, I need Christ to continue continuously empower me to uh, be able to be faithful in that way so i mean that that that's a book that has uh, challenged me not for the first time but it has uh, challenged me i've also been slowly reading through the godly man's picture by thomas Mer- uh, thomas watson and uh i mean very slowly reading that and uh if you've ever read that book it uh, can be a bit overwhelming in some respects as you think of what a godly man looks like but uh As I read through it, I just try to ponder it and pray through it. And uh, uh, I long that uh, God might grow me more in godliness.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, I'm thankful you've also added one more Thomas to my mind to now get confused. Thomas Murphy, (laughs) Watson, Boston, some other good Good one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, that's good. Thank you for that. That was great. Um, This is the question we kind of like to ask. Uh, all the guys we have on as preaching is is really the primary means of grace and we love to talk about it um what what is your your own philosophy of preaching in the sense of you know how does adam Neese preach and why does he preach the way that he does
2: yeah well I mean I, I fully agree that preaching is a primary and principal means of grace in the church, that along with prayer, it's the primary calling that God has given me. Uh, Not that I can ever neglect personal one-on-one shepherding and all the other aspects of ministry, but uh, it's something that I need to give a lot of my time to that the congregation needs. And uh, in our church, we have two services, morning worship and evening worship, and we have full preaching in both of them. And um, it's very much at the heart of our congregation and what we think is uh, incredibly uh, valuable. So uh, I, my, I typically am preaching through books of the Bible, uh, try to cover the whole counsel of God. Obviously, I haven't done it all <laughs> by any means, um, but uh, my goal is to uh, unpack the word of God in a clear way that hopefully everyone in the room can understand uh, and can benefit from, So we try to have low lying fruit and higher fruit and higher fruit as well. So that hopefully it's engaging with the minds of all who are there. Um, But that it's clear. I mean, I I really try to work hard to be as clear as possible um, so that people come away thinking, I know this text better than I have before. But I not only know what it says, and I not only know what it means historically, but I know what it means, uh, why God has put it in the Bible for me, and uh, what application of that text looks like um, looks like in my life. So um, I thought, you know, I was trained by Rich Alderman and Denny Prouto, uh for preaching. So uh, I still very much follow most, if not all, of what I was taught. Denny's method was... A uh, very, uh, a one point main point type of a sermon. Uh, not that that's the only thing you talk about. I have many points in my sermons, Um, but I, I, you know, every Sunday I provide an outline that says right at the top, here's the main point, right? So what is the main takeaway from this text? I want you to have, uh, this is it. Um, uh, Denny would say it was the ring around the bathtub, right? Um, uh, kind of a gross picture, uh, maybe too many people don't take baths, but you let all the water down, uh, water's gone. What do you have left? Right. The ring of grime that's still around it. So the, the idea is at the end of the sermon, you've said, you know, 40, 45 minutes worth of words. Um, the sermon's over. People are going home, but the ring is still on the bathtub. Uh, right. The point is there. And so, uh, He would often talk about, you know, you can take a basket of apples and you could throw all the apples at the people. And how many apples will they catch? One, maybe two, three. That'd be really something if they caught three. Uh, His philosophy was instead of throwing a basket of apples, why don't you just pull one single arrow and shoot it straight to the heart? So I try to have uh, a lot of different application. Like I said, making many different points from the text. But, but all working towards what I believe the text is primarily driving at and what our congregation needs from that text in that moment. And so that's the main point is that ring. It's that arrow that I'm trying to shoot forward. Um, but, you know, I have an outline. Um, I try to have my outline be sequential, right, that I'm building a case from point one to the final point. Uh, where I'm uh, helping you see that uh, this is the argument of the text and uh, this is what it has to do with you so that you can go out and believe what needs to be believed and practice what needs to be practiced in the context of the gospel of Christ, of course, relying on, on God's spirit to empower you for that. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my philosophy. That's what I try to accomplish. I'm normally preaching through books of the Bible, but I'm not opposed to topical series and, uh, When I was preaching two sermons a week, uh, often there for a while, my evening series was more topical in nature, uh, where we focused on the identity of God, the Christian's identity, the fruit of the Spirit, these types of things. Uh, I found it refreshing for me as just something different, since I was already preaching a book of the Bible in the morning. Um, It was a different style, different method of preparation for me, and was a bit more teaching, but uh, primarily going through books of the Bible.
0: No, that's great. That was that was really helpful, actually. Um, Aaron and I—I I don't know if you follow Denny's exact preparation method still. Aaron and I took Intro to Preaching from Denny, so we're familiar with what Denny's preparation method looked like. But what what does your own sermon preparation look like? You know, from from you know, you're preaching through a book, so you likely know what section or at least close to what section you're preaching next. So from the time you sit down at the beginning of the week, whenever that is, and start to develop that, what does that process look like from text to sermon?
2: Well, I'm thankful that that Denny did give a pretty clear process to follow that was at least a great starting place for a guy who knew nothing on how to preach. I don't follow every step, uh, nor do I follow every step in the same order that I was taught. I've, I've learned over the years that some steps I can skip and some I just, uh, I, the way my mind works, uh, I tend to go more towards this direction before I'd go in that direction for, for an example. But uh, for me, uh, throughout the week, so I, I'm, a, I'm a, not a guy that can just close the door, shut out the world for eight hours and begin in the morning by looking at the text for the first time and go home for dinner with a finished sermon. Uh, I'm a guy that, uh, you know, I work on the sermon every day of the week. Uh, I take Saturdays off, so Monday through Friday, in an ideal world, and it's actually happening now by God's grace with John being here, <laughs> so uh, it's happening a lot more frequently than it was in the past, but uh, I try to spend a good amount of time studying on Monday, and so for me, I'm you know, I'm starting in my... English Bible, just uh, reading the text, reading the text, reading the text over and over and over. Look at some other translations, and then I have a document on my computer and just start jotting down notes, things that come to mind, applications, cross references, uh, all kinds of things, and I keep that document going. Uh, I'll do that for a little while as I think I'm getting more a sense of the a sense of the uh, text. Uh, I know that, uh, I think I was trained in seminary, uh, save the commentaries for very, very last and only resort to them when you have questions. Maybe I shouldn't say it publicly. That's, I don't really do that. Uh, I've become convinced that the congregation, one of the ways that God has the congregation uh, learn is by being taught by others. And uh, that applies to the pastor as well. So uh, my sermon prep does not need to be entirely original to me, uh, that I can learn from others and should learn from others. And uh, what I have found, too, is that by reading commentaries, not only am I learning from others, but reading spurs thinking. So uh, I, I don't think I've ever come away from a commentary ever where I've thought, wow, I agree with everything. That was perfect. I don't need to know anything else. That it's never happened to me. I mean, yeah, and that's good. I'm glad that's never happened to me. Uh, but what reading does do is it brings up this thought that then I follow, uh, and it brings up another thought and it points me in certain directions and it just stimulates thinking. So So I believe that at the at the end of the sermon, while I've been taught by many teachers, Uh, It's still my work. I'm not just taking what Joe Schmo said and such and such commentary and throwing it into a sermon and poof, there you have it. Um, But I'm learning from other godly men who are trained in studying the word. Um, And so, you know, so it's not the first thing I do by any means. Uh, I'm not reading 50 commentaries. Uh, Right now I'm preaching through Ezekiel and I've got you know, three on my shelf Well, four on my shelf here. And then I, I, I check out John Gill and Matthew Henry, typically, if I have time. Um, you know, so I'll read through them and then I, I take notes. So I still have this document. I'm just constantly having notes there. Uh, and then my goal is. Um, I'm done studying by Tuesday again, I'm not doing this all day. So I'm spending a good amount of time on Monday, a good amount of time on Tuesday, but I'm doing plenty of other things in, at the same time. Uh, normally the mornings, at least I'm, I'm working on the sermon. Uh, and then, uh, Wednesday today is you need to have an outline. So, um, I try to, one of the reasons I love my note document is I don't want to keep res, uh, referring to all the books. So I try to make it so that I can put all the books away. And I just have my notes. And a lot of times on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, I'm reading through, I'm meditating, I'm jotting down a million things on it, on the back of it, on other pieces of paper. Things are coming together. Uh, sometimes I'm walking around the office talking out loud to myself. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, uh, you know, just all, all these types of things. God works through that whole meditation process to and develop. Then Wednesday, the goal is have an outline. And Thursday is the day then that I will typically shut out the world and carve out that I can focus on preparing the actual sermon. Friday is then the day of, I give a couple hours, few hours, whatever's needed to um, add illustrations, just pray over it more, think of better, different applications find all the things that seemed interesting on Thursday, but don't need to be said on Sunday and cut them out, those types of things. So I find that as the text is marinating five days of the week, that's the best, that's the best situation for me. I need all of that time to make it the best sermon that I can produce, humanly speaking.
0: Yeah, no, that was good, detailed, and thorough. Just thinking... I'm with you. Um, I mean, ideally, I do the bulk of my own study before I'll go to commentaries, but I, I don't always do that, nor do I think it's necessary. Sometimes time dictates that I go to commentators quicker because I don't have time to be getting off in the weeds or going off in some wrong direction or something like that. And then I remember listening to a Reformed Forum podcast one time, and they were having this discussion, like, when should you bring in commentators? And, and one guy said he brings him es- essentially immediately. I mean, the first thing he does for his sermon prep, he calls coffee and the commentators and he goes to a coffee shop with a stack of commentators and, and, and goes at it. And, you know, they noted on that podcast and it always stuck with me that the really the only danger of going to commentaries early is if you're not your own thinker. If, if you you cannot also think for yourself. So if you're someone like you said that you just read one commentary and you think, well, that's everything there. I agree with everything that person says because he's an authority and he said it and you move on with life. Um, so so if you are your own thinker, I don't think there's as much danger in it. And then I like also what you were saying. And it's, it's another kind of saying or analogy that has stuck with me when it comes to sermon preparation, milk many cows, but churn your own butter. And so mm. that's kind of, you know, drawing from many resources, but that final product is yours. You know, you've put it together, you've put together the pieces that the The final product is yours. So I, amen, everything you said there. Um, last thing, again, this would maybe be a thing with Denny. Uh, do you kind of go with what Denny taught concerning what you bring into the pulpit? Are you, you know, Denny would take his five or six moves and that's all he would have, you know, or are you a no notes guy? Or are you, full manuscript or, or something in between.
2: I'm a full manuscript guy and I, and I have been from the very beginning. Uh, so even when I was working with Denny, I was a full manuscript guy and he always supported it. Um, you know, I obviously learned from him, uh, reasons to do otherwise. Um, and, uh, I have throughout the years wished that I could do otherwise. Uh, but I've just become convinced over the years that the way I'm wired, um, for me to communicate clearly, um, helpfully, thoughtfully, not repetitively, I need to go through the process of writing everything out in advance. The, the other thing I've realized, too, is uh, you know, you, 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 when I sit down to start typing up the manuscript, you know you've I've obviously done a lot of studying I've got an outline you think you have it all in your head and you're ready to go but it's in the process of writing the sermon that other dots are continuing to connect mm-hmm. and that's that's i you know it can be frustrating at times but it's also exciting at the same time that that's really when things are coming together in a in a very helpful and powerful way So writing out for me is the best way that I can make sure I'm speaking clearly and helpfully. Uh, But also, it's an essential part of the process for me to ensure that I am handling the text accurately, faithfully, and uh, to the depth that is necessary and appropriate and helpful for the people.
0: Amen again. Yeah, that's good. That, I appreciate That it. being
2: said, I don't write a research paper. So, uh, you know, I, I write the sermon as if I'm preaching and as if I'm talking. So uh, I have my whole system for what it looks like. But my goal is that uh, if you're in the congregation, you don't know I have a full manuscript. Mm-hmm. So I, I really work hard to make sure that I'm able to communicate uh, as if I'm not reading whatsoever. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, very good. Appreciate that. Um, As we uh, start our uh, 30,000-foot descent here um, to land this podcast, uh, what are some ways that uh, our listeners can uh, pray for you, pray for the the congregation there? Obviously, it's the big praise of uh, bringing John as your uh, associate there, but uh, what are some other ways that our listeners can be praying for you guys?
2: Thank you for asking. I mean, certainly do pray for John and his family as they continue getting adjusted here and uh, as the congregation receives his ministry and builds relationships uh, with him and his family um uh in addition to that uh you can pray uh, most immediately we have an evangelism seminar coming up a week from saturday Uh, ed blackwood is coming out uh to to be with us on a saturday morning and going to be giving the, the congregation practical training on the duty and method of evangelism and then he'll be preaching for us that sunday and then a week later um on October 7th, the congregation, we're going to go around the neighborhood here, around the church building, and uh, go door-to-door and uh, hand out flyers and invite people to worship on the 8th. Uh, just try to make our presence known to say hello, to put a face to uh, to the church, and uh, and uh, we'll see how the Lord uses that. So you could certainly be praying that God would use that in our hearts, that we might come to care for the lost more and be willing to take steps to reach the lost and the unchurched around us, uh, but also that the, the Lord might bring visitors and unbelievers into our midst. We also, uh, we have uh, currently three deacons who work very hard behind the scenes and do so much, um, but uh, we are in need of more deacons, and so we are going to be having an election at our annual meeting in January, so it's a, it's a bit off still. Uh, but we'd appreciate your prayers that God would raise up uh, the right person to serve or persons to serve uh, in that capacity in our congregation here soon. Uh, We're really thankful. God's been uh, adding to our numbers. We are a varied group. We've got, you know, lots of young kids. We've got some older folks. Uh, So, you know, many different needs, many different stages of life. Uh, We've got a handful of first time brand new parents, uh, so you could be praying for them uh, in particular. And, uh, you know, we also have a handful of hurting people for various reasons over things that have happened in their families or things that have happened in the broader church over the past few years. So, uh, you know, just that God's comfort would continue to be um, prevalent in our midst and uh, that God would be giving his comfort through the work of uh, the elders in the ministry uh, of of the public uh, worship, but also of just the individual members as well as we try our best to interact and love one another, come alongside each other. No, Thanks for asking.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I'm not trying to set myself up as an example, but just uh, encouragement to our listeners I try and jot these down, and as soon as the podcast is over, I don't make some big scene of it, but I try and lift these prayers up to the Lord, and so just encourage the listeners with that. Just make make praying uh, part of your listening to this podcast. If you listen to it, as soon as you turn it off, uh, pray, pray for these things. Um, uh, the Lord works through prayer. Last, now, our mystery theological question. All right. We're in the midst this month of settling the debate surrounding Rahab's lie. What we want to know by the end of this month is, was Rahab's lie lawful and right, or was it unlawful and wrong? What says Pastor Neese? So
2: is this just uh, the two young pastors uh, find a way to make the older pastor squirm and, and nervous, you know, thanks for giving your time to be on the podcast. Let's make you feel as uncomfortable as possible before we hang up.
0: It's our re- this podcast is secretly our revenge tour for all of our presbytery exams and and all of those things. <laughs> is this
2: is your revenge. Well, you know, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, that's that's not something that I've spent much time studying or that i've even studied recently so you know i don't know how helpful of an answer i will have uh, on that um you know you know i think scriptures do it's obviously a complicated matter i think the scripture does speak favorably as if you know rahab was doing a righteous thing and so does that bring up other questions yes it certainly it certainly does um, but I, I think you know, we need to start with what does Scripture say about it and work from there, rather than perhaps our gut reaction or perhaps what um, seems popular or what the culture might say about it. Um, you know, we, we want to wrestle with the hard things. So I think, you know, what does Scripture say about it? I think Scripture speaks uh, favorably of it as if it was a good thing. Um, but I think as, as we say that, we need to make sure we understand uh, what would be good about it. Uh, was there anything wrong about it? Uh, was it merely commendable for a particular time and a particular purpose? Or, um, you know, is it to be replicated today? Uh, that, you know, there are many, many questions uh, on that. I don't have the answers to all of those today but i do think those are the things we have to wrestle with and we shouldn't be afraid of wrestling with them
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's all you get uh, i think that puts us at uh, 50 50 right now so we'll see what the other two guys say uh next as we uh work through this
0: issue
2: 50 50 okay interesting i
0: don't don't know if i would say adam came down i think he just gave helpful categories for thinking about it okay all right maybe i maybe i interpreted him wrong but he seemed to be neutral and a category giver versus coming down and saying yay or nay one way or the other. Okay. How,
1: how about uh you're I wise. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then I, I revoke the 50-50 thing. I think we've got one confident answer and one hedging our bets, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh if anybody's listening to this and looking forward to the core winner conference in a couple months, maybe bring this one up on uh, Stump the Pastors and uh Adam will have a great answer for us with all of that. <laughs> This has been another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, an anthology of pastoral theology. Our guest has been Adam Neese, pastor of Lafayette and uh, Lafayette Reformed Presbyterian Church in Lafayette, Indiana. So, Adam, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast with us.
2: Thanks, guys. My pleasure. Happy to spend the time with you today.
1: We're happy to have you. If you uh, like this podcast, you can rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use. If you like this episode, you can share it on social media. If you've got a question, you'd like us to ask the pastors that we have on this podcast, or you'd like to recommend we have your pastor on the podcast, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com, Bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.